Nicholas Scalanen. I'm a Klinkit Unangan visual artist, uh, father, musician, magician from Sitka, Alaska. And were you born and raised in Sitka? I was born in Sitka, but I was raised by wolves. So nice. Much, yeah. <laughs> moved around a lot. Lived lived all over. So. What was your first introduction to um, to the possibility of being an artist? Well, my father's an artist, so obviously that was something I was aware of as a child. Uh, I remember trying to understand the visual art, especially the Clinket visual art form, which is a you know it's an abstract uh, language essentially, so uh, ancient language that's evolved for thousands of years in relationship to the community here and the land. So I was aware of it, and I was. You know, he used to have us draw some of the shapes, and I, I would um, just try to try to copy what he was doing, I suppose. And I think when I was in fourth grade, living in Seattle, we had a art project, and I I, I'm, I remember doing specifically a, a print of a raven from from the area, trying to do Northwest Coast. I don't know where that's at now. I think my mom probably has it, but or I think I drew a bookmark too, and like third grade maybe that was totemic forms so I was aware um, and ever since it's just been sort of a tool for me to uh, well you know it's been a continuum the language the visual aspect of that that I partake in and it's been a tool for me to understand more about the history and the land and stories and the culture so um, that's something that I've, I've always forever challenged by and uh while I'm doing that work, I, a big part of it is to to share my knowledge that I gain. Uh, so I, I do some teaching and stuff like that as well. I take up. I have some apprentices that I work with. Other than apprentices, do you work with any of your family currently? I do. Yeah, my brother. Um, my brother and I do a lot of collaborative work. I actually he just recently started paying rent in my shop, which is nice. So. <laughs> Sweet. So we're, we're like splitting that space, which is great. And we actually, we're neighbors. So we do a lot of, do a lot of other projects as well together. And my father too, I've worked with my father on stuff in the past. I've worked with my uncle who was my instructor, uh, Will Burkhart. He's, he's uh, brilliant. He's kind of one of my big senseis, mentors from, from when I first started getting involved in this sort of work. And, um, yeah, my great grandfather was a uh, wood carver as well. So there's definitely lineage. Dang, those are some crafty wolves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sweet. So what about um, what about children? You said um, in your manifesto, kind of that you're you're a parent. So tell me about yeah. being that uh, artist parent. Uh, it's great. I love it. My my children are. They have access to my tools and the equipment and the recording studio. They actually have a band, they have a little band called the Kung Fu band and they released a song on uh, my record label recently. So they're fun. They just have, they just, 
as long as I give them access and my goal is to, to be able to teach them the potential, the potential that they have with their voice, with these tools. So as long as if they can respect and understand the potential of, of their creativity, then I'm, I, I think that I've, I've done my job. I don't know if this is the correct term or, I mean, I think I've heard um, you use something other than this word traditional, you know, but um, how how do you sit within that space as an artist who comes from generations of artists? Several terms you can use. I like the, the word continuum, honestly, because it's not really a tradition. It's a continuation of, of something. And so... Um, yeah, I sit right here, right now. That's where I sit, and that's the only place I can sit. So um, as far as passing it on, I think it comes down to not solely consuming what it is that you're doing. That's a, um, that's a very colonial um, aspect of processing culture's consumption. Generally, it's consumption. So when the culture or the art is consumed... It's an example that is taking what you want and not dealing with the rest of it. And um, I, my job, I think, is to hopefully contribute instead of, instead of consume. And when you're con- contributing, you're partaking in it, and you're also leaving something for the next generation to um, to utilize. What can be an example of like a body of work that um, you feel like um, touches touches that subject? Uh, continuum. Uh, I would like to think all of my work is uh, definitely a form of contribution um, opposed to consumption, and and that's through dialogue and context. Um, a really quick example would be so coming from Northwest Coast culture, which is very very iconic and powerful, and it's um, aesthetic. Our visual art is something that um, is like no other in, in any, anywhere else in the world. And that becomes very, very, uh, that could be overpowering, I suppose, in terms of like Western culture consuming that work. It's, it's, it's very easy to make to, all right, we want totem poles, we want this, we want logos, we want blah, blah, blah. Um, become sign makers of some sort. So the, the conversation surrounding that for me as an artist, where that was my start, that was, that was my introduction into the creative world. Um, that was overpowering to me. I, I felt like there was actually a moment, um, I was being interviewed for a show, Totems of Turquoise. It was my first exhibition. James Hart curated my work into it. And it's kind of been nonstop since, um, but I remember sitting in Vancouver and there's this film crew and they're filming us and they wanted us to say things into the camera. And I just felt like the, they were prodding me to, to say these, you know, these, I don't know what they wanted, something very, they wanted some spiritual or uh, some sort of meaning behind this piece that I did. And the piece that I did was, was you know, 
it was the first copper mask I'd ever made, and it was really a it was a learning piece for me. It's like a that was kind of its sole um, intention in the creation of it. So I did. It was a very long process and time consuming, and I was I was just trying to figure out how to do this, uh, and they were trying to get me to say all these things about this piece. And I felt like, wow, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not here to be your puppet and to tell you these things to fulfill whatever it is that your needs are for your exhibition uh, video or whatever. And um, that's when I realized that I needed to do work that was relevant to my experience uh, as a young indigenous artist, uh, relevant to my, you know, something that was truthful and honest to what I knew. Unfortunately, the with this era and age and up upbringing, um, with the displacement of community and the loss of language and all of these things, there's a lot of gaps in in a lot of this knowledge system. So, um, long story short, the next work that I created was my book um, sculptures. What have we become? And the series was thousands of pages of paper, and it was basically looking at uh, how our culture is represented through institutionalized anthropological uh, texts or knowledge or information and that homogenization of information that takes place when a Western form of our knowledge-based processes and translates our elders' words and stories. and, And for some reason, it becomes more relevant when it's put into that text to society today for what not for some reason for colonial reasons and um it's that's problematic uh in a lot of ways so that book series to me was dialogue on that and representing that but i also took it upon myself to venture further than um using just like northwest coast iconic imagery our materials you know, red cedar is very uh, specific uh, to Northwest Coast carvings, yellow cedar, all these things, the types of weavings that we have. And it was liberating as an indigenous artist to work away from that. So it was not, I, I didn't use any of the iconography. You're, uh, I used faces, and those faces you could be foreign or familiar to them or from any culture and kind of interpret the work as you like so um i would say that was a contribution in a sense at least from my personal experience to um creating a space of uh sovereign creativity without being bound by expectation of you know others other preconceived stereotypes of what native art is or isn't and once you completed that body of work was it just completely relieving to you? I mean, what was your what was your after after wise? What was your after feeling, and um, where did you go from there? Uh, everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. It's not. It's it's uh, th- that particular body of work. I'm still. I'm actually still doing pieces around it. It's not been exhausted in any means. There's nice. so many late layers and facets to that to that body of work that it's kind of 
boundless, no pun intended, as a book word. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, um, the first concept that I was going to try to do with this work, I actually haven't done yet, and that's probably going to be uh, it's the full size body piece with books, and that uh, I've got the scan. I just haven't started cutting yet. Um, it's like sixty thousand pages, roughly, and it would be yeah, just a very slow, lengthy process. So I'm, wow. I'm not in a, I'm not actually in a hurry to get to it. I hate cutting. I really hate cutting paper. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. Seeing as how it's a huge part of the process for that work. Um, yeah. What's your What's your mind state when you get into something like that that you're not a huge fan of doing? No, I mean I don't mind. Uh, obviously, it's very therapeutic and meditative once you get get going with it um i have studio assistants too that i like to employ on projects like that because it just really it's a little easier on your body if you're repetitively doing the same motion over and over again it's tough on your fingers and your hands and And do you have a a problem with control issues as far as like allowing other people to help you with your work or how what's that like uh, I have no problems with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking because I live with an artist, you know, and he, yeah. um, you know. No, you know, it, it, it honestly it depends. So what you're working on and what the project is and if it's uh, like if, if it's the context or the concept or it, there's so many different variables. That, but generally speaking, no, I have no problems with that. Um, some of the work, part of the concept is to have other, I mean, I've done works where the concept was, to hire somebody to create the entire piece. Um, And that was the Raven and the First Immigrant chainsaw replica sculpture of Bill Reed's Raven and the First Man um, creation story. So this is an immigration story. And it was part of the concept of the work to hire a non-native carver to create it. So with with a chainsaw. Tell me about um, your process of concept. Like um, when you when you start to approach a body of work, um, what happens before you actually sit down to create? There's no there's no process that's like ritual for me. As far as I mean, I'm basically what I mean by that is I don't go to a I don't sit down and like, light a candle or whatever. <laughs> Uh, my process is to listen, um, and to, to be receptive continually. And, and as far, as long as I'm in that, um, allowing myself to be in that space when I'm not expecting it, yeah, I'll just take notes. And so my sketchbook really is not necessarily been a lot of drawings ever. It's always been words and quick sketches, if anything. Um, but yeah, a lot of words. So 
I, I like to I like to exhaust concepts and try to find their best form. Um, so I'll we'll try to consider how consider several different angles and then figure out which one is most effective for what it, what the work is um, creating contextually and and what I'm trying to say with it. So that with that in mind, it's exciting because I don't know what I don't know what the next project will ultimately be. Um, I don't know what sort of materials I'll be working with in my studio space or, um, and I, and I really enjoy that aspect of it. What about going back and forth between this, um, kind of like, I know you do jewelry and metalwork and kind of metalwork that, um, that your people have been doing for a long time and then going yeah. into these conceptual, um, projects. When do you decide <clears throat> which way you're going to go? Um, I mean, I'm always creating, so it's not really, uh, I kind of do what I feel like doing, uh, when I'm feeling like I'm capable and able to do that work. So, uh, for example, the jewelry is very therapeutic sometimes. And now I try to work in my jewelry studio a few hours a day just for that aspect of the space. And, uh, you know, when I'm doing that kind of work too, I can, be thinking up, upstairs here about other things and other ideas. And, um, I like to run and I swim. So when I'm doing those things, I get to think a lot too. And, um, music's a huge part of my creative process and creating music is. So it's not necessarily like I'm ever turning something off. It's just, I'm going to the creative outlet that is needing to be, come out of me. So can't really, I can't sit down and like force myself into a song. Uh, I mean, I probably can, but it wouldn't be very enjoyable, and it probably wouldn't be a very nice song. Uh, uh, if I if I sit down at the studio and I'm not feeling it for music, I'll just pack it up. When did uh, you When did you first get into music? Um, I've always loved music. I don't think I started playing until I was about 18, just trying to learn the guitar. My father was teaching me a lot, a lot of. Uh, songs and stuff like that delta blues he was uh showing me a lot of delta blues music he's a great blues musician so was it the guitar a little bit that he got you into at first as far as the instrument goes yeah he bought me and my brother's guitars at like 14 when i was 14 i think uh but i didn't actually start to appreciate or want to learn how to play guitar until i was about 18 that was about the same time i started taking uh, the artwork seriously as well. So. You just released an album, correct? I did, yes. Uh, Silver sure. Jackson uh, is my music alias for this project. And um, Starry Skies, Opened Eyes is the title. I spent about three years recording these songs oh. and, co- and collaborating with some amazing, really inspiring musicians and uh, friends. Just... Uh, to me, the collaboration aspect of music is so magic. Everybody brings something to the table, and um, the songs arrive in a sp- space that I never, never could have brought them on my own. So, so I'm missing the morning. I'm lifting the evenings. Taking my time. Yes, I'm taking my time. I'm taking my time back. 
How do you know when a song is done, especially taking three years on a project? Can you talk about the process in that? That's a good question. I'm, there's not like a light that turns on or shuts off when the song is done, but, <laughs> but as the whole project develops alongside each other and the, I start to see what, what the album's actually uh, sonically starting to sound like, um, I don't know. I can't explain how I'd know that, like how they're done. But when I have nothing more to give to them is when they're done, I would say. So, um, yeah. What about collaborating musically? Um, do you find, um, do you find more joy in that collaboration than with other, um, avenues of your art? The music collaboration is wonderful. Um, obviously get to, Try to like choose who you collaborate with, whether it's peers or people that you respect musically. Um, the art world, I don't, I haven't done a ton of collaborative uh, visual art except for my brother and I's collaboration, um, which is our collective Leonard Get in the Car, and that's, um, you know, that collaboration. A lot of it takes place through conversation, and and just we him and I were, were very, very close. We were, we've gone through our whole lives together essentially. And so we're, we're, we're very close and we work very well together. Um, and part of that collaboration process to me is being open-minded to, um, another, another person's ideas and perspectives and being able to say no and being able to say, yeah, or, or likewise have it go the other way. So I just am reading this book about, uh, it's called like the powers of two and it's about, creative minds needing a counterpart you know somebody to bounce ideas off of and um it yeah. seems like your brother is that um is that yeah, other well, part? before our actual like uh leonard get in the car collective um where we started producing works he was that's essentially what was going on is i was doing my projects and coming from Sitka here in this small community um I don't have a lot of peers here that um, I, I share even my professional world or work with. I really don't. Mm. I would say most people here are fairly unaware, uninvolved with my like my creative visual uh, work that I do, mm. but uh, at least the, the contemporary side of things. So, so that he he was that for a while. I'd share these ideas and things, and you know. After a while, I was like, well, let's just start working on some projects together. want to kind of um talk about the way you feel when you take these concepts into the world away from Sitka when it's mm. when it's talking about this colonization and this indigenous based yeah. knowledge being exploited that, uh, and the unfortunate reality is it's so common it's so fucking common everywhere this conversation mm. everywhere you go I went, you know, I did my master's degree in New Zealand 
and the program was Maori Visual, Maori Visual Arts. And our commonality with my peers in that course was through our historical experiences as Indigenous people that binds us uh, with together with our you know the similar stories of displacement and, and the similar histories of and struggles with language and um, racism are you know all all of these all of these aspects of uh, they're they're so common um, so the work though it might be specific to my own uh, experiences yeah that that's you know it's very very common. Yeah, it sucks to have to um, have your main point of like um, reference to each other as indigenous people be through trauma. And it's not always necessarily the uh, the sole case. I, uh, I would I would say you know there's there's ceremony and dance and song and those are other aspects of, of things that we have commonality in, and uh, respect for the land and our subsistence lifestyles and stuff like that. So. Those are other binding factors that are not solely based on the trauma of the history of who we are and where we're from. Have you had any um, specific experiences you can think of, of of people's reactions to your work? Like, um, I know you just did a show, and I think it's still up. Your feast has ended. Oh, yeah. That show is not up anymore. The, rea- the community response to that exhibition was amazing, though. Uh, such a warm, welcoming um, audience and support from the folks that came through that that whole show in that space, uh, black constellation, um, Shabazz palaces, OC notes, Eric blood. They did a very beautiful performance, live performance in the gallery for four hours wow. where they, they, they basically, uh, played music together for four hours, uh, kind of in honor of the work in that space. And it wasn't planned, you know, it was all just, they were, they were, uh, responding call and response to each other musically so wow that's really cool and um the community did they receive it well as far as like um i know you said that it was a great response i mean yeah i would say it was a learning it was a it was a time for a lot of the community especially in a venue like that to learn more and it was a challenge i'm sure for the venue to to host such a exhibition like that in a space like that you know uh I would have liked to have seen some of the works enter their permanent collection, perhaps at the Fry. That would have been a nice response to the effort that the all of the artists uh, put in into play there, or to have seen the show travel somewhere else because uh, the work was so important. Mm. I think so. Some of the other artists, Nepsidu and McQuayo, Ali Barnes, they had some really wonderful pieces in there. Yeah, just some powerful work.
how do you deal with failure as an artist? And do you even recognize that as a, a term in your vocabulary? Is failure like like flunking tests in class or what kind of failure? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, as an, as an artist, I don't, I, mean, I don't, I don't think there's, I mean, I don't think, yeah, I don't think you can fail. I mean, you can't fail. Uh, it's by whose standards, what are you failing at? Hmm. You can learn and grow. You know, those are definitely things that are just constant, constantly happening, but, uh, um, what about success? What do you mark as success? I think that's the same. The idea of failure and the idea of success is kind of the same. It's, it's by whose standards and whose definitions and what it's, it's, um, it's nice to receive opportunity as an artist. Everybody that's creative or anybody that's dedicated their life to creativity in the community deserves opportunity and opportunity is one form of success. I think, um, you know, we have goals in life, and I, I remember I wrote goals when I was first starting out. Um, I have them somewhere. I think this was like, I was probably like 18 or something, and I had this little sketchbook, and I put like these goals down that I want, I like milestones that I, I assumed would be nice to achieve if I were an artist. I don't know what they are right now. I have to find it, but I remember a few of them. Some of them were like, like, having my work in publications or something like that. I was like, but that's great. Uh, but it's also just part of the job. I think now, like now in hindsight, I've <clears throat> to, ha- to, to, uh, engage audience is, I would say is success in a, in, in a, in a form. So when you're engaging your audience and activating conversation and activating especially new perspectives and dialogue that are not generally fed due to society and media and all of these other things. That's our role as an artist at times, I would say. So, you know, you bring in truth out and creating a platform for other people that uh, might feel the need to have that truth brought out as well. You provide that platform so that they, we have to, give tools to all of the entire community to access that conversation with. So basically you're, I would say the audience is an enormous part of, of the uh, relationship to the work, the context of its meaning. So can you um, think of a moment in your recent past where you were completely blown away and inspired by your audience that's so hard to to think of one 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 space because the audience is always very diverse. So uh, some people are over here and some are over here, and um, as long as the conversation is happening, um, I think that's the important aspect. Uh, and key points are being said are met. Um, mm-hmm. From your feast has ended, there was a lot of really valuable dialogue that happened in the exhibition from some of our artist talks that were um, given to some of the programming and um, some of the lectures based around that. I think my highlight of that was the performance of for that work and all of the art in that space was expanding the now, the continual line, and that was that four-hour um, that four hour performance for wow. the art, 
for the art and the and the it was completely um yeah it just blew my mind it was so powerful to hear these musicians uh magicians they were all each in different separate rooms of the gallery to hear them work together and create this atmosphere and space surrounding the work with the audience kind of we like going in and out of each room viewing the work viewing the viewing the music feeling the music even because you could feel it too uh yeah that was to me that was like i would say that was it was magic yeah i was just uh i was just in the audience and i was just trying to take it all in i've never ever seen anything like it You know, I've, I've been talking to a lot of artists from all over the world and having a lot of emails from people and a lot of young artists who are indigenous um, just trying to feel relevant, you know. So um, what inspirations or like seeds of knowledge can you drop for um, people out there who might need some some guidance as an artist? I would say you don't have to try to feel relevant. But you are relevant. You're relevant as a young indigenous uh, community member and creative, and your work is relevant. And um, that's first and foremost. And then, um, I mean, the, it's hard to give one one or two cents to such a broad, like, <laughs> possible, possibly broad group of youth or individuals. <laughs> it truly is, but I think. Working hard, uh, being creatively curious, um, and to contribute and not consume is uh, a good starting point, good foundation. When you say not consume, can you talk about that a little bit more? I mean, consumption is taking and solely taking. So, um, for example, in the creative world, consumption would be like... Jeremy Scott from Adidas creating his uh, totemic line of whatever he did, the shoes and stuff. That's consumption. He offered nothing. He took things that he thought he wanted to take from uh, uh, culture and, and then just throw them, slap them on print. Um, so that's one form of consumption. And you're, you know, he's, he's abandoning the culture. Uh, mm. And they're profiting off of that. So, the, uh, contribution is um, engaging with the community that you're working with and the community that you work from and, and you're contributing to a dialogue and contributing to uh, this community through whatever it is, the message, the voice, the empowerment of, um, of whatever, whatever you're trying to do with your work. So That's a very, very good point. I like, I like how you talk about consumption because it's just become completely gluttonous nowadays. Well, it's, it's it's colonialism is what it is. Honestly, colonialism is consumption, and and it's um, a monster. And do you feel that art is a good 
tool in which to like speak against this and create a dialogue that can help people to not consume? Art has always been a tool uh, for, I mean, historically for the Clinkett community, our artwork has been used to tell stories. It's been used to document. It's been used uh, to heal. It's been used to uh, protect. It's been it's it's powerful. It's very powerful. And today, this day and age, art is empowerment, especially when you're coming from a community that's um, oppressed. Whether you're oppressed through your voice, or whether you're oppressed through the history books that your children are being taught. Um, so when you have a voice, you're empowered. When you're telling your perspectives of your own story, you're empowered. And art and creativity, especially amongst our youth, allows for that. For the young world to process and digest what we've kind of left for them. So. Do you feel like you're um, revolutionary in your way of thinking as an artist, as an indigenous artist? I would say that we've always, always, always been revolutionary. So um, sure, I'm continuing that revolutionary creativity. Um, I wouldn't say revolutionary and, and use it as a separation from historical indigenous artists at all. Tell me a story, um, anything that comes to your mind that completely shifted your reality and made you kind of step up to the plate to become who you are today. Yeah, I have. I'm in a lot of different stories. For one, that earlier story that I spoke of when when I was sat down for that interview, that was a big eye opener for me to create work that was relevant to my experience. Um, and not to do it for other people's needs or wants. Um, so that's a uh, one story. Another story. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think of. There's so many. So I was in. I was 18 years old. I was just starting to apprentice with Louis Menard. He was a, a Clinkett elder that taught my father and my uncle. And I was learning some of the form line design, uh, or the visual art flat design, and some of the jewelry techniques and. Um, I was working for the park service as a, I don't know, I sat at this door and greeted tourists in this Russian bishop house, like this historical house. All I did was sit, sit there and when they'd come in, I'd greet them. It was horrible. Like the job was whatever, but I enjoyed it because while it was quiet, which it often was, I would sit and just draw and just like try to, you know, I would draw a form line and native, uh, study the, study the forms and the, the art. And my supervisor <clears throat> came in and told me, I can't draw. I can't do that artwork. If I want to do anything in my uh, off time, I can read books on Russian history. And uh, fuck, I quit my job. And it's like, I'm, I'm, and I never, I've never held another job that didn't 
I never had another job afterwards that wasn't based around my creative, pretty creative work. So uh, I couldn't go back. <laughs> Hell yeah. I just wanted to ask you as an artist to um, kind of talk about um, the current process and body of work that you're doing um, and where you're going, where, where your next steps are. I had a pretty busy year this year. So uh, doing some new work and some new collaborations with my brother. Uh, I've just opened a show in Zurich and I've got two large chase chase repose copper pieces i'm doing for the sea alaska heritage um institute's new building the walter soboloff center being built in Juneau, and um just really have to be part of that project i'm, I'm on their artist committee and uh so i've had a little bit to do with the planning of that space and and what what will be going on in there and it's just a really amazing beautiful place it's located in Juneau, alaska so but yeah i've got that going on There's a lot of things going on are you gonna tour um tour your album at all i was offered so yes uh i think it's gonna happen I'm working at the details right now uh been offered to do a tour through alaska which is really exciting um and then i've been offered to join a tour with the red ride tour and that's with the. Um, That'd be the Red Red Tour next year, early, like, I think May and June. Um, there's two legs that I could join, they say. One's across Canada, Vancouver, all the way to the East Coast, and the other one's from New York back to Vancouver on the U.S. side. Um, so, yeah, just some amazing artists. Do you have um, your live set already prepared? Because I know that your um, album is really spatial and, like, dense. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky one to perform. Yeah, uh, my buddy Zach, uh, who's been heavily involved in a lot of the whole project, and we, we collaborate together a lot. Um, him and I have been rehearsing quite a bit. We've we've played a few shows recently. We played a show in Juno where we played a lot of the new album, and then we played one up north. Um, so yeah, we have a we have a format where we perform that a lot of those tracks with just the two of us i just say go listen to the music it's like three years of my life uh put into that and it's such a i mean it's a long time it feels like a lot has happened in that time period but yeah i, I think it's uh yeah i don't know i just love music i think you should go check it out else any other kind of like any other knowledge that you want to give to other young artists aspiring to like figure out what's going on something that you learned that you're like damn I wish somebody would have told me I think uh, 
I'm not going to preach to anybody about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but... As, as an artist, your best responsibility is to stay true to yourself and, and your voice and your work. And preach. <laughs> I yeah. mean, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's tough to learn not to expect things and to not learn to expect things from folks or people as well. You know, there's, there's real reasons to create, and it's nice to find those reasons. And I'd, I'm never in writer's block, like, frustration because there's so many things going on and so many different projects are, you know, that's the beauty of having so many different mediums. I could, I sort of feel like I'm that way about everything that I create. Uh, the world's amazing when you look through it with creative eyes. Happy birthday, mom. Like, we are a part of nature and we are meant to be a part of it. We're meant to be integrated with it. So to take the mentality that we destroy it, so we need to protect it and quarantine it off somewhere else, it's like separating ourselves from it further. The key more of it is like reestablishing like a, a healthier connection to it. I started to think like our earth, the entire earth is like the basis of everything that we are. But that the language of the earth is something that we've forgotten how to listen to. It doesn't stop communicating with us, but we have stopped listening.
here right now, like we're sitting in the middle of everything we need to live comfortably, live luxuriously, I think. Like I think that the way we lived was probably like really high quality of life. And for people that don't agree, sometimes they don't agree with me or think I'm too like romantic about what it was like. But if you were to put it in a dollar value for like the wood and all of the seafood that we had and like just the way that we lived, you'd need to be a millionaire. A millionaire. I feel like I was a very successful, successful example of colonization. Somebody that comes from somewhere now that I know it comes from somewhere really ancient, an ancient culture that's very strong, um, has like a beautiful way of being in the world, and yet I wanted nothing to do with it. And I just felt like, you know, if I ever have kids, like I would have never passed this on to them because I didn't start weaving and it would be totally dead. 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 Yeah, dead. spirit of the mountain to, to be in that and to just be present in that, that environment is so gorgeous. A place to spend time in, to interact with nature in that way. We usually approach like the natural world as something that we want to take from. We always see it. Sometimes we kind of hang down.